1: is Ann Foster, and this is the Vulgar History Podcast. This is a feminist women's history comedy podcast, and we're in season two right now, and the season two theme is and continues to be women leaders in history and the men who whined about it. And in looking at which women to feature this season, lots of considerations. And I caught myself making the um, optimistic, and misguided effort of seeing this as some sort of thing where it's like, you know, things were kind of shitty, like they weren't, you know, Cleopatra, Agrippina, like they faced some blowback. Um, Matilda didn't get to be queen. And then look at how everything turned out great. But that's not how this works because there's still lots of women leaders now. There's still lots of men whining about them. There's still way more opportunities for men to be leaders of basically any anything any industries or whatever and the women even that being said like the women who are looking at this this season are entirely women who were born into their leadership roles so it's like they they did cool things um but it wasn't just like people looked around to say like hey her she's great let's make her be in charge of whatever it's like well you know there's not any Dudes on the family tree so I guess this woman has to take over and then even someone who we're not covering in the season like Elizabeth the first she took over and did a very successful job of being queen for decades and decades even Queen Victoria like people like that it's they did they were among some of England's most effective rulers but it's not uh, what they did didn't make the um patriarchal society necessarily think like oh wow, you know elizabeth the first was a great great queen let's make women be the heads of guilds let's like women be um judges or lawyers or whatever it's like no they just kind of got in there because the family tree meant there was like literally no one else who could do it and they did a fine job but it didn't really it's not a story where it just keeps getting better and better i mean i think i think now recording this in 2020 there's more women in leadership positions than there have been ever before question mark but it's still way more men in charge of way more stuff so all of that being said this season isn't going to wrap up with some sort of like happy ending of like yay and then this woman was great and then it's great for women ever since this is just kind of like oh this bullshit has been going on forever it continues to go on uh, the modernity modernity of some of these stories, it's still sort of striking to me where like the, the things that people said who were criticizing the women leaders is really similar to the rhetoric that's out there now, criticizing women leaders. And anyway, it's just a lot of bullshit, but there's some um, stories here that I think are worth sharing and worth elevating. And today we are looking at the daughter of last week's subject. So last week we looked at the very complex life and legacy of Isabella the First, And this week we are looking at the woman who would become her heir Juana the first of Castile so even within that so it's like Isabella the first was a very um effective leader she was very in terms of what her goals were she was successful she was respected people were okay with her being in charge she was really um the fact that she was a woman like after she took over one well, especially she had a husband with her who sort of made people less scared about having a woman in charge but this is like case study of how she did well for herself as the queen and then her daughter Juana did not so it's kind of like Isabella broke through like like with, ching, ching, like with a little like little tiny hammer it's like getting rid of like a little tiny piece of, of the glass ceiling but it's still a 10 million percent still there so just to orient everybody us all to remind us all of what what the world we're entering into here the history of Spain so Juana of Castile was the daughter of Isabella the first she's also the older sister of Catherine of Aragon Henry the eighth's first wife which makes Juana the aunt of Queen Mary the first of England so and isn't it interesting how each of these women and I'm going to include also Juana's grandmother Isabel of Portugal who was The woman who people said was insane and then she went insane. She lived in the ghost castle. So each of these women, isabel Isabella, Catherine, Juana, and Mary are all to varying extents. uh, Remembered for being very passionate and stubborn as well as for being allegedly insane. Um, They're also all women with a larger amount of power than usual for the era, which meant that they were seen as threats and or pawns by the ambitious men who surrounded them. So isn't it interesting that they were so often described as being hysterical and insane when that's just sort of the main argument men had to try and get them out of the way so they could do the man things they wanted to do. So Juana, she is known, I should get out in front of this as well. So she's Juana of Castile. And she is known, even in some books, um, in documents, as Juana La Loca or Juana the Mad. So that's how she became known and it was a lot of, sort of a smear campaign against her and I think when we look through what happened to her, the ways she behaved that some people felt demonstrated insanity actually, to me, I think seem like reasonable reactions to extraordinary circumstances. So juana was born november 6th 1479 she was the third child and the second daughter of isabella the first and ferdinand so her older siblings were oh no her older we'll get into her older siblings because that all matters later oh yeah she had an older the oldest sister was isabel and then she had a brother juan Anyway, Juana had pale skin, blue eyes, and strawberry blonde hair, like most of her family members did, even though because it takes place in Spain a lot of times for sort of a shortcut when portraying her and her family in films, um, dark haired, dark complexion people are often used. So Juana was a moody child who liked to spend time alone, especially reading books. Her mother... Isabella, who hadn't herself been super well educated for the first part of her life, because if you listen to last week's podcast, um, Isabella grew up in a ghost castle, so she provided much more extensive schooling for Juana and her sisters Isabel, Catherine, and Maria than other women at that time would have received, or that would have been typical for young girls in general. So we have a situation of four sisters and one brother. So it's a we've got sort of like a little Kardashian-esque thing going on bunch of sisters one brother um who else oh like the Bronte sisters type thing as well um like the Romanoffs Anastasia and her sisters and the one brother I don't know this is there's something very mythical to me about this setup of just like a bunch of sisters and one brother uh anyway Juan the brother was being groomed to take over the throne of Spain because boys always inherited things instead of girls and that was his job. So with Juan covering the role of heir to the throne, the four sisters grew up knowing they would be married off to princes or kings of other kingdoms to strengthen alliances, which was their job. They knew that. They were all, like, cool with it. So point of clarity. So Queen Isabella, her mother, ruled Castile and Leon, and King Ferdinand, the father, ruled Aragon. So these countries or these kingdoms never actually sort of amalgamated officially it's just that they all happen to be ruled by a married couple so whichever of them died first the parents their eldest child would inherit the kingdom that that parent had but not the kingdoms that the other parent had because it wasn't like a united thing if you see what i mean and even if you don't see what i mean which is fine i didn't explain that to the best of my ability all you need to know is that juan was the heir to both kingdoms and then his children so if for some reason he and all of his children all died, then the next heir to the throne would be the oldest, the oldest sister, Isabella, and then her children. So Juana, being the third oldest, was never expected to inherit anything, but sometimes life takes you by surprise. Juana was an excellent student and became fluent in numerous languages, including French, Latin, Castilian, and Catalan. She was also a skilled musician. And was extremely knowledgeable about history politics and the arts and was also skilled at hunting and riding because isabella was making sure her children were like the most best accomplished people ever because it was a situation where the sort of catholicism christianity that was going on then was sort of like if you demonstrate that you're really good and proficient and smart and wonderful then everyone around you assumes that's because god prefers you so you kind of cultivate those traits so people know that God prefers you but also that like demonstrates that God does prefer you so um, Juana was also was not known to be as extremely pious as her mother um, or her other sisters especially Isabel her older sister was super 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 pious and religious um, but uh, the four sisters were all exemplary models of the type of femininity that their mother advocated for well-read, talented in just about every conceivable way, devoted to their faith and expected to be subservient to the men in their lives. So that was kind of, it was sort of like, this is what I'm telling you to do, but what they were witnessing was their mother being this one woman powerhouse who bulldozed her way through life. Um, and was able to wield power on her own terms. So they were kind of seeing that also, even as they're being taught to be like subservient and quiet and whatever. So from what is left of Juana's writings, there are hints that she was also witty and she, and again, that she didn't take religion quite as seriously as the rest of her family, but really who could? Um, the uh, As we talked about last time, Queen Isabella had sort of a performative and violent way of proving her religious devotion, e.g. the Spanish Inquisition, um, genocides, that sort of stuff. So there are some reports that are probably wrong, but there are rumors that Isabella might have tortured Juana for not being religious enough, but that's never been verified, and I don't think she did. So by 1496, Juana, 17 years old, and her family arranged her betrothal to the 18-year-old guy named Philip of Flanders, Philip was known as Philip the Handsome, but frankly, if you Google that, I find that name debatable. But I think the name, like the translation of it, could also mean Philip the Fair, which means he had a uh, light complexion and light eyes as well. But either way, he, like his pedigree, was just perfect for a marriage to Juana. His father was Maximilian I, the Holy Roman Emperor, and he was from the Habsburg family. This is, so the Habsburgs are this dynasty of German princes who existed through many centuries of European history. And I'm sure this will come up in the podcast as well, because this comes up in my research all the time. Just like goddamn Habsburgs pop up and like every person I ever researched, they're always there. Oh, they were around Um, last season, Elizabeth Bathory, the Habsburgs, I think, were... Her enemies there, it's just like they always pop up and they're always the enemies of whoever I'm researching. It's just like they, to the point that I feel like they are my personal nemesis. But anyway, and guess what? Philip the Handsome is awful. So spoiler Habsburg villain yet again. So the connection of Mary and Juana to Philip was this connection between these two wildly like the preeminent most powerful families in Western Europe and... Coincidentally, both, both his family and Juana's families all hated the French. So this meant that the countries could kind of join up and go to war against the French. Um, on the positive side of things, um, Philip wasn't like 5,000 years older than her. They were all like similarly aged. He was allegedly good looking. So, okay. Um, Juana left Castile in August 1496 to Flanders to go and be with Philip. Their wedding ceremony was held that October, and the pair was apparently so physically attracted to each other upon their first meeting that Philip insisted they get married right away and not wait because he just wanted to um, seal the deal with her. She was really into him. She's a passionate person, and she was passionate about her relationship with him. How did he feel? Spoiler, not the same. So, from the beginning, the relationship was... So, this passion, which at first was, like, that they just couldn't wait to get married and have sex with each other, but that passion was not um, always positive or productive. Juana was completely and entirely in love with Philip, but Philip, because every man in every episode of this podcast is always the worst, was a philanderer, cheated on her basically constantly. Part of the, quote-unquote, evidence of Juana's quote-unquote madness is the way that she would freak out when she found out about his infidelity. She would go into it like she would scream at him and like rage fits which I don't consider madness. I consider this reasonable behavior of a really smart, really accomplished, really beautiful woman who is also really sensitive, really passionate and whose husband is treating her like garbage and who was raised by Isabella the first and so she would she wasn't going to sit around and be subservient as she was like maybe taught, but she saw what Isabella did and what Isabella was like. So she's like fighting back. She's like, how dare you treat me like this? Like I am literally a princess. Oh, you're the worst. So she was also effectively pregnant all the time. Um, Juana gave birth to six children over 10 years. So there's a lot of like hormonal brain things happening here as well, where she's pregnant all the time. Her husband is being awful. Um, so her behavior at this point, if we're just being like, mm, is this insanity? I think like, uh, no, rational behavior. She had also gone through a lot of death in a very short period of time, which would also affect her emotions, like on top of the whole like being pregnant for 10 years thing. So between 1497 and 1500, the deaths of people in her family were, so her older brother Juan died, um, then his widow suffered a stillbirth so he was dead he had left no heir Um, so that meant that the heir to everything was now Juana's older sister Isabel but then Isabel died in childbirth and Isabella's toddler aged son also died so suddenly her two older siblings were both dead their children were both dead Uh, this meant that Juana was now unexpectedly to everybody the eldest surviving child of Isabel and Ferdinand and was now the heir to Castile Leon and Aragon which nobody had expected, um, including her. So in 1502, Juana and Philip traveled back to Toledo for her to be recognized as heir to the throne. Um, So the title for them in this time was called the Princess of Asturias. That was the title given to the person who is the heir to the throne of Castile. And later that same year, she went through something that sounds like perhaps a nervous breakdown. So... How did Philip support his constantly pregnant wife through her mental health issues? He did. Uh, he abandoned her whenever she got upset. Like, if she started freaking out, he would just leave and have an affair with somebody else anytime Juana's behavior got to be too much for him. So it was just like a... T- toxic toxic situation um and then he would also spread rumors about how his wife was like so crazy he'd be like oh my god she's always screaming at me she's like throwing things like she's clearly crazy it's not like i'm awful and her behavior makes sense but he's like i don't know women be crazy so this is where her reputation for being juana la loca sort of kicks off so How would she deal with this on off desertion by her husband and she was still like passionately in love with him like so like completely devoted to him which is which made his betrayals cause even more rage for her obviously so she would deal with this um in a time and place where um in an environment where she'd been raised to be you know women should be docile and subservient and you know if you're upset you should like pray turn to god and that's just like not cutting it for her so she would do things like um throwing herself against the walls to injure herself um crying herself to sleep um just she had big feelings she was a woman of like great passion and she just like what can you do like she was just doing the best that she could in an era before knowledge about things like postpartum Um, issues or about how pregnancy messes with your hormones or like cognitive behavioral therapy or like antidepressants or anyway so she's just like doing the best she can and Philip is just running around like oh my god my wife is crazy so it's just sort of like a self-fulfilling thing where she is just like not doing great and he's just making it all worse in 1504 Juana's mother Isabella fell ill and she had been um, very uh, religious slash having some mental health stuff going on towards the end of her life as well where she like stopped eating for such a long time that that would make her mental health get even worse as her health got worse. Um, Juana who like adored her mother even though they used to fight all the time she became so upset that her mother was sick that she herself stopped eating or sleeping um, and anyone who stops eating and sleeping will probably wind up behaving in some Unusual slash erratic ways and then add to that the fact that Philip again um, left without even saying goodbye because He was tired of of how Spain was so Catholic and how they wouldn't let him have sex with people all the time So he just like peaced out he back to Flanders um, Juana was determined to follow him to just like Scream at him and plead with him to come back to her etc. And her mother from her deathbed was just like Juana like no please don't um juana was desperate to leave but her mother had her restrained and kept in town and the reason why isabella even like literally on her deathbed like having her own mental health issues was so determined to not let juana chase after her awful husband was because juana was super pregnant at this time because remember she was constantly pregnant traveling would be dangerous for her because it's like the 15th century and um pregnancy was dangerous enough basically so she freaked out completely at being like restrained and separated from philip um so she continued to not eat or sleep which like on top of being pregnant and having already been pregnant lots and postpartum and everything uh she started to wander around babbling incoherently which of course she did with all that going on physically emotionally in her body um like if you're a young woman and she's still young at this point she's like in her early 20s who had been consistently pregnant for at this point 8 years whose mother was on her deathbed like whose mother had like caused her own deathbed by like starving herself to death who lived in a time when nobody understood psychology whose husband was treating her worse than garbage um she had not been eating or sleeping for a while like yeah guess what like wander around babbling incoherently like do whatever you need to do so after she gave birth to this child um juana pleaded with her parents to let her chase after philip they forbade her from leaving again um and then juana ran away so only half-dressed which i'm not sure what that means in this instance because when you say half-dressed you're like oh my god was she topless but i think it's like people had you know the inside under chemise and then like you know you have your like skirts and your skirts and your like lace-up things so it's like when she ran away only half-dressed it could mean like some of her laces weren't like tightened all the way or whatever but basically not the way that a royal person should be behaving according to customs um she threw herself against the front gates of the castle because they like her parents had told the guards to not let her leave uh she screamed um throwing herself against the front gates screaming until she exhausted herself and eventually she was brought inside to rest after presumably passing out i guess um and it wasn't until a year later so like after that baby was one year old that she was finally granted permission to leave So, finally, she gets to go back to Flanders to, like, God, like, I don't know, did she think it was going to work out? Like, of oh my God, Juana, just like, ugh. So, she went back. Guess what? Philip wasn't just there, like, excited to see her, but he was literally in the arms of one of his mistresses. So, with the rage-filled passion of someone who's been traveling by boats and carriages in the 15th century while dealing with, like, nine years worth of postpartum issues, um like and she also was passing through like to get there she had to go through a war zone slash people dying of the plague so yeah she was she had some some pent-up anger at this point so she confronted her rival with scissors don't worry well okay worry a bit she confronted rival with scissors and first cut off the rival's hair and then allegedly stabbed her rival in the face with the scissors. And so at this point, her actions are maybe, like, a little beyond, like, oh, she's a little stressed out. But at the same time, Philip had been gaslighting and toying with her for, like, years and years and years and years to the point that this sort of thing feels unavoidable. And also, like, everything I just said 30 seconds ago, like, she was desperate to be with him for, like, a year and a half. She finally gets there, and he's, like, literally in the arms of a mistress. There's, like, maybe... You know, there just shouldn't have been scissors in the room. So, stabbing the mistress, guess what? Didn't make Philip love her anymore. So, she turned to local witches for love potions. Which is just, like, if you look at her mom, um, even her sister Catherine of Aragon, her niece, Mary I. Like, they were all, like, so Catholic and so religious. And they, in their time of need, would turn to stuff like, you know, like, praying, fasting, like, wearing uncomfortable shirts made of rope or whatever like they were not they were not going to witches like Juana had her own point of view here but then guess what Philip found out that she had gone to a witch and he was like oh my god you'll never guess what my crazy wife did my crazy wife went to a witch um, and kept spreading awful rumors about her because he is my mortal enemy so in the midst of this marital crisis Juana got the news that her mother had died so this meant not just a whole grief cycle of like my mother is dead but also it meant that on top of like everything she's dealing with right now she inherited her mother's roles as queen of castile and leon because remember her father kept being the king of aragon because he was still alive it's only when both of her parents were dead that she would inherit the other bit if you remember that confusing part so juana inherited her mother's titles as queen of castile and leon but philip was not into that because now his role was as her consort and he was a horrible person and didn't want to support her in her rise but he wanted to keep her down because he's awful and guess who else is a late entry into like people who are awful is her father ferdinand so late in the game revealing himself to be also the worst so ferdinand and philip started scheming ways to wrench this power away from Juana by proclaiming themselves her co monarch. So this is where we get into coin corner. Literally every story of season has some sort of like coin related hijinks. So Ferdinand went to the mint and had coins produced that said, Ferdinand and Joanna, king and queen of Castile, Leon and Aragon, hoping that would make it official that he was co ruler alongside his daughter, like that she wasn't in charge of anything on her own in her own rights philip the handsome was like good idea and he minted more coins his own coins that said philip and joanna king and queen of castile leon and archdukes of austria etc so they're just like doing all this stuff coin related in the meantime juana was doing her best to just like wake up every day and like live in the world when her life is a walking nightmare because she is guess what pregnant again, having more babies, and just getting worse and worse. Postpartum-related issues, I think, kind of clearly is what's going on here. So by 1505, Juana had given birth to five children. Her oldest son, Charles, would be next in line for all of the thrones that she currently stood to inherit. Charles was in Flanders, being raised by some of the other Habsburgs relatives of Philip's, and Ferdinand was really upset about that because he wanted Charles to be raised by, like, Spanish people. So so Ferdinand took a new wife because um, he figured like maybe he and the new wife could have a new son and that son would become his heir instead of Juana and through her Charles but the thing is that Ferdinand's new wife was French and France was not very popular in Spain at the time so this just made the public um, public opinion support Juana and Philip even more and so Juana and Philip, who had been in Flanders at this time, decided to return to Castile and deal with this whole Ferdinand situation of her father being awful. But then they were shipwrecked on the English coast, like on top of her whole life. It's like now she needs to survive a shipwreck. So luckily, um, England, her sister Catherine of Aragon had was there, having just recently married um, Prince Henry, a.k.a. going to, become Henry VIII later on and this was there's was a whole episode of the Spanish princess where you have the whole Juana blowing into town situation but that is a thing that happened um, and so Catherine of Aragon and Henry VIII were happy to host Juana and Philip at Windsor Castle so they had some family togetherness and then I mean I hope she had a nice time I hope I hope she had a nice time sometimes um, and then in January 1506 Juana and Philip left England so upon their return, Castile was on the brink of civil war due to... It's like the whole thing that happened when Isabel was taking over before with her useless half-brother, etc. where there's like some people, like some factions were supporting Ferdinand and others were supporting Juana slash Philip. So, but um, the nobles all deserted Ferdinand in order to support the younger couple. So the, the two factions, both the cool young factions, supported Juana and Philip. And so uh, Ferdinand was like, okay, I see the writings on the wall but also he had a new scheme up his sleeve and so he invited Philip for a secret meeting to a man meeting. At this man meeting, Ferdinand agreed to turn control of the government of Castile over to his children um, and would himself return to Aragon because remember the, the kingdoms aren't joined, there's just the two different things. But in the fine print of what this agreement said was he, he and Philip agreed to a clause that said because of Juana's quote-unquote illness, which is her alleged insanity, she would be incapable to rule, which meant that she would be excluded from all decision-making and also would be kept confined in a castle without any chance of escape. So Ferdinand went back to Aragon, leaving Philip the Handsome in charge of Castile and Juana a prisoner, just like her grandmother had been Ferdinand the worst. Ugh, Ferdinand. Um... Like, he was married to Isabella, so you'd think he'd be like, women can be in charge of stuff, but not when it's his daughter, apparently. Anyway, so then, one year later, Philip the Handsome suddenly died of typhoid fever, which was going around. That was... typhoid fever was going around, um, and that is his official cause of death, but everyone basically agreed that he'd probably been poisoned by Ferdinand, and we will never know the truth, but I wouldn't be surprised if Ferdinand had poisoned him, because that's convenient timing. So... Whatever the cause, Juana was now a widow, but guess what? Pregnant widow, because she is constantly pregnant in this whole story. Um, and when she found out that her her husband, who she had been so passionate about her whole this whole time, was dead, um, she apparently displayed more, quote-unquote, mad behavior. So just to recap, before getting into what she did, that people recorded as being evidence of her madness. So had been consistently pregnant for, by now, nine years. She'd had six children. Her mother had just died of self-inflicted starvation. Two of her siblings had recently, like not a lot of time has passed, died at very young ages, her brother and her sister. Um, she suddenly, surprise, inherited these kingdoms. She'd just been imprisoned by her awful father and her terrible husband slash abuser slash codependent partner had just unexpectedly died potentially murdered by her father so there's a lot of hormones and chemicals coursing through her body add to that the fact that juana had always been a very um emotional sort of person and what she did falls into a context that i don't think is necessarily like oh my god she's gone mad but more just like yeah of course she's behaving like this so what she did is she refused to part with philip's coffin rumor had it that she was um Doing sort of like a psycho slash weekend at bernie's type scenario with philip's corpse um sleeping next to it eating dinner with it at the table talking to it like a person that was the rumor but um that's not what actually happened so she's like she's not at that level yet what did happen is that she wanted to keep philip's coffin nearby so she had a, the coffin with his body and it kept in a church near the palace where she lived so she could pay her respects daily When she traveled, she had the coffin brought along with her, which is, like, not what everyone would do, but not insane. So, during all of this, Ferdinand saw a way to steal his daughter's powers from her. By continuing to allege she was insane and unfit to rule, he was able to appoint himself her guardian. So now we're into, like, a Britney Spears conservator-type scenario, with a horrible father also so he was able to put himself in charge as administrator of the country juana at this point had just given birth to her sixth and final child and was ready to get back in the game but on top of literally everything else going on guess what the plague had just rolled into castile and people were dying all over the place like literally bubonic plague was back again um so ferdinand like just side note so I have these bonus episodes I've been putting out recently, um pandemic special episodes, just telling sort of like weird and interesting stories about people and things that happened during past pandemics in world history. And what I find interesting is that um even in a time well, like centuries before the whole thing about like hand washing and like germ theory was developed, like people just kind of knew like if there was a place that had plague in it, you just knew to like stay away from it. So The plague was in Castile. That is where she was. Ferdinand was back in Aragon and he was like, why don't I just wait for like plague to just like do its thing and then I can return when it's safe again. So he just kind of sat around and waited for Castile to sort of implode so he could swoop in and take over. Juana, in the midst of this plague, um, kept trying to get enough powerful allies and money to regain the throne, but she couldn't muster enough support. Her asshole father then swanned into town in 1507, um coincidentally at the same time that the plague had sort of like plateaued and um stopped being quite so much of an issue and so he just happened to come back in town when the plague was already better and everyone conflated the two things to be like oh my god like he came back the plague went away that must mean he is who the king is supposed to be and so then He used all his decades worth of slimy, gross, awful experience to metaphorically stomp all over Juana and steal the throne of Castile for himself. So again, remember, he had always been the king of Aragon, but it was Isabella who had been the monarch of Castile. So Juana refused to sign the paperwork that removed her royal powers and issued an official statement saying, basically, this is some bullshit. But Ferdinand was way more powerful than her. He had all these allies. And she became, again, a queen in name only. So on top of making all the ruling decisions, Ferdinand also had all of Juana's loyal servants fired, replacing them with a smaller staff of people loyal to just him, and ordered her to be confined to the royal monastery slash convent of Santa Clara and Torse Castile. So all of her children, she had six children, remember, were left in Flanders. So she was off in this convent, her six children, we were left in Flanders to be raised by Philip's sister, Margaret of Austria, Um, except for one. So her youngest daughter, whose name was Catherine, um, Juana refused to be parted from baby Catherine. And so her young daughter remained to be raised in the convent, which is like a weird history repeating thing, because that's not unlike how Juana's mother, Isabella, had been raised in a convent with her allegedly insane mother. So just, just. okay, it's a good news for Juana was that her father's second marriage had failed to produce... Remember, he married the French person? So his second marriage where he had hoped to have a new son who could replace her, the second marriage had failed to produce a new heir who would supplant her in the line of succession. So, she was, so the position of heir to the throne of Castile and Aragon when Ferdinand died would be, because Juana was officially insane, um, would be her oldest son, Charles, who's back in Flanders. Um, but so while Charles was back in Flanders being raised to be her heir by the Habsburgs um Juana's second son whose name was Ferdinand had been born and raised in Castile because he was the one who was born when she was like trapped there and not allowed to leave so Ferdinand her dad preferred baby Ferdinand to be his heir because they were he was closer to him and he knew him better and also because he wasn't being off raised by Habsburgs in Flanders um Ferdinand the king briefly even named baby Ferdinand as his heir in his will, but um, some clever courtier, somebody who is allied with Juana's son, I'm um, going to switch it back to say Charles is the heir. So anyway, Ferdinand finally died. Good goddamn riddance. And Charles was back in Flanders and not able to take over right away. So again, Juana is just trapped in this monastery. She completely powerless so who's going to take over ferdinand is dead charles is back in flanders can't get there so ferdinand's illegitimate son alonso de aragon was put in charge of aragon while an archbishop was put in charge of castile and leon as regent in juana's place so just so we're all keeping track juana was very much alive um being kept trapped in a castle slash monastery due to her alleged madness um she could have taken overruling both kingdoms upon her father's death but she was not allowed to so in 1517 her son charles who is now 17 years old arrived in asturias to take on his role as king he and his sister eleanor so juana's one of her other daughters met with their mother for the first time in i'm gonna guess 15 years um they acquired from her permission that charles would be officially her co-ruler because she was allegedly insane, but she's still technically the heir. So, but she agreed that he could be the co-ruler with her of Castile, Leon, and Aragon. And at this point, he could have released her and have her be his like true co-monarch, but he did not do that. But her daughter, Eleanor, who I like the sounds of, arranged things in the castle slash prison to make it more comfortable and um, homey for the mothers, for Juana's comfort. So good job, Eleanor daughters were good people i think so charles was not a popular king in spain because um of his habsburg roots and the fact that he had been raised in flanders um there was a revolt in 1520 against him during which rebel leaders turned to juana for support to remove him from the throne they were saying so it's again it's like they don't like him so like well if we get rid of him like who can we support so it's not like they wanted her to be queen it's just they wanted him to not be king So since she was technically still the queen, if she gave them her written approval, the rebels would win and Charles would be deposed. So Charles and a delegation of his own supporters to his mom to try and get to her first to have her put in writing that she didn't approve of the rebels. And Juana was like, "Mm, not sure what I'm going to do. Looks like I have all of the power now. And she sort of like took so long to agree which side she's going to support that the rebels were able to storm into town and officially request her support. Eventually she decided against signing in the document. Um, so she supported her son's reign and in an attempt to bring peace to the land. So she actually got to do something um, significant there. But meanwhile, she was showing more signs of mental instability, which is like, of course she did. If this is like the way that she's been treated and what, life has done to her so far so she grew paranoid that some of the nuns who were caring for her were trying to kill her which frankly was entirely possible people were being poisoned all over the place and there's probably lots of people who wanted to kill her Um, apparently as her condition like her mental health deteriorated she required um assistance with most parts of her day including eating bathing changing her clothes and speaking and sleeping Her son, Charles, instructed her caretakers not to let her see or speak to anyone. So I don't know if that's because he didn't want her to be scheming or if he didn't want anyone to see what condition she was in or what. But so she was completely isolated, not able to talk to anyone. Um, Some historians, Rain, um, suggested maybe she might have, have had bipolar disorder. She might have had a severe case of depression. She might have had schizophrenia, maybe comorbidity, all of those things all at the same time personally I think all those things are entirely possible but like her grandmother I think a lot of this can be traced back to the hormone fluctuations of six pregnancies combined with undiagnosed and untreated postpartum disorder combined with just what her personality was like where she just felt things so deeply um combined with her like her ongoing sort of issues with eating not eating and not sleeping the effect of phillips toxic awful abuse on her the way that her father kept gaslighting her, that she was crazy. Like is if that's all happening to you and you start having symptoms, like, is it madness? Um, If she just sort of like shuts down emotionally, psychologically and becomes sort of catatonic um, or is it, and, or is it sort of like a self-fulfilling cycle of like people claim she's mad and treat her like she's mad. And eventually she just like becomes mad. She just leans into it. So, the story does not have a happy ending, as one might, by this point, expect. So Juan of Castile passed away aged 75 on April 12th, 1555, having spent 46 years in captivity. 46 years. Her tomb is in the Royal Chapel of Granada alongside her parents, which sucks because they were awful to her, but she loved them, I guess. Um, she's also next to Philip, which is just like, uh she loved him, I guess. And she's also buried next to her, sis, her older sister, Isabel's young son, Miguel. So she herself is remembered as Juana La Loca, um, the Mad Queen. But her legacy, like to history, is through her six children. So check it out. So her son Charles became Charles V, King of Spain and Holy Roman Emperor. Her son Ferdinand succeeded Charles as Holy Roman Emperor Her daughter Eleanor served as queen of Portugal and queen of France. Her daughter Elizabeth was queen of Denmark. Her daughter Maria was queen of Hungary. And her youngest daughter Catherine, who had lived for a decade with Juana in captivity, became queen of Portugal. Through these six monarchs, the Habsburg dynasty would continue through to the basically beginning of the 19th century, being super powerful all over Europe. And I want to just shout out my sources for this so there's a really good book called sister queens by julia fox uh which talks about juana and also her sister catherine of aragon and just sort of how the parallels in their stories um how their mother had been so successful how they both had shitty husbands um who treated them badly etc super recommend that book um so, it's technically called Sister Queens, The Noble Tragic Lives of Catherine of Aragon and Juana, Queen of Castile. Another book that I consulted for research is called Juana the First Legitimacy and Conflict in 16th Century Castile by Gillian B. Fleming. There's also a movie that's called Juana la Loca, or the English title of it is Mad Love. I think it's available streaming somewhere. It's a Spanish language movie that just kind of gets into the really the passionate relationship between her and her horrible husband and what that was all like and now it is time to score this woman so we have four categories with which we measure the women who we talk about on this podcast not that any of them are better or worse than others but just to kind of see where they fit um, on a scale measuring four very specific things the first thing we're measuring is scandaliciousness so that's kind of like well scandaliciousness just like how juicy and gossipy is her story and frankly even though Juana herself she wasn't like running around murdering people she wasn't having lots of affairs or anything but just like her and Philip's relationship and like you know running out throwing herself against the doors half-dressed like it's 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 like a telenovela like the scandaliciousness. it's not like I'm gonna give her a six for scandaliciousness because it's just like the it's entirely based on her relationship with Philip it's just I mean the the cutting off the hair and the stabbing oh I forgot about the stabbing the face with the scissors let's give her a 7 7 for scandalousness. um the next one is scheminess and I have to say um her scheminess maybe she was wonderful at scheminess like maybe she came up with good schemes but just everybody around her it was just a bad time and place for her um I like she was there's a part where she's trying to gain support to take over but then her father came in he took over instead like she was scheming it just wasn't Effective, but I guess that means it wasn't as good of scheminess. I'm going to give her a four a four for scheminess because she tried um, her Significance so personally her significance um, Is less so than that of her children and her children and the whole like through her the the dynasty that they founded does become pretty I'm gonna give her an eight for significance because through her children like she her genealogy um became very significant later on um and there's also that part where she stopped all of spain from crumbling when she decided to support her son instead of siding with the rebels so that was you know what she deserves more points i'm gonna give her a nine for significance the sexism bonus is the last the fourth category where depending on how how much did her gender affect the way that she was treated and how her life turned out? And this is like a full on 10. Like if I could give her more than a 10, I would. I want to give her like a 12. I want to give her like a 17 for sexism because she was treated so horribly by so many people, by everyone. She was set aside. Like even though like some, uh, like every other woman who've looked at this season who was a uh, a monarch and should have inherited something. Like she did not have supporters. Um, she if she was a man, like she would have just become the king, and that's it. None of this would have happened. So that's a total ten. So let's just add this up. So 17. Is that right? Wait. So she gets 30, which makes me glad because like this is just uh, like it's an artificially constructed scale. But I like I think with her we really see the balance of the four things like. She's lots of significance, the sexism bonus, her scheminess is low, but she still bumps up there. So like she's 30 points, like she's tied for second place, like the top ever, um, on the scandalous scale is Agrippina the Younger has a 31, but Empress Matilda has a 30, Juana also has a 30, her mother just has a 27. So even though her mother was more significant, potentially, um, she didn't have the scandaliciousness elements or the sexism elements anyway and i think juana's story does sort of mirror that of empress matilda in some ways as well where it's just like you she was the woman who technically should have inherited and just like a lot of men worked for a lot of years to make it so that she would not inherit so that's that's the story of juana the first of castile aka juana la loca um so a bunch of different things to tell you, just like reminders. So this podcast was based on an essay I wrote a year or two ago about Juana, where I was looking at her and also her sister, Catherine of Aragon, her mother, Isabella, and then her grandmother, Isabel, because, and then Mary the first as well, just kind of like seeing the commonalities and the stories of all these women from the Spanish royal family and how they all were so strong-willed and so stubborn and how they just were treated by I don't know how they all sort of ended like all of their lives ended with this sort of like quote unquote instability insanity which is really just like I don't know they just a lot of commonalities between the different women so if you want to look at this essay and other ones I wrote about other women in history you can find that at com. Um, I have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Foster Writer. And that's where you can learn about what I'm working on, what I'm researching, just depending on the level at which you support me. Um, Also, there are some Patreon-only mini-episodes, which I'm posting there. So those are called "Sew This Asshole, and they're episodes about some of the gross, awful men encountered in some of these stories. I feel like Philip the Handsome is very much due for me to do. An episode about him just putting him on blast anyway so that's patreon.com in foster writer um so i'm also on instagram at vulgar history pod on twitter at vulgar history i've got a little teespring store as well if you want to support the show through the purchase of some of my hilarious feminist merchandise there's bags and mugs and t-shirts and that's all at teespring.com slash stores slash vulgar history and then also um, if you feel like sending me a message, you can at vulgarhistorypod at gmail.com. Um, lately I'm very into bookshop.org, which is, uh, an online bookshop that, um, supports local bookstores near you. I have a list up there, so vulgar history recommends so I'm putting a list up there of the books that I've used for research for a different podcast episodes other historical books that I really enjoy that I find really interesting so for this one like the sister queens is up there if you want to read more about Juana and Catherine of Aragon and kind of their whole situation other books I have there you know just feminist history and other history books that I recommend so you can find that the link will be in the show notes but also it's at bookshop.org slash lists slash vulgar history recommends and there's dashes in between all of those things but all those everything i just mentioned they're all linked to each other so you can pretty easily if you find one thing you'll find all the other things and i mentioned midway through this podcast too that i've been recording these other mini episodes that are not patreon only those are available for everybody the pandemic super specials so just talking about some interesting pandemic related stories from different time periods so you can find those if you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you're subscribed to this podcast and i guess that's everything um next week i think is going to be the season finale for this season about women leaders in history and the men who whined about it so stay tuned for that um be well stay safe and i'll talk to you all next time mm-hmm.